High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome back, those of you with families, those of you who stayed home to start a business, those of you who left for New York to follow your artistic dreams, and a special shout out to all those beautiful girls out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where we meet some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Of course, your homework every week is to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. While you're there, leave us a five-star review or a positive rating if your podcast application allows. And remember, you can do extra homework by checking out all the other old High School Slumber Party episodes at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the home of so many other great pop culture podcasts. But most importantly, this one, High School Slumber Party. Thank you. Thank you for joining us again. Today is another class reunion episode. We're going back to school. We're going into the future to go back in time. Another film that covers... Older people, adults, going back and hanging out with their high school friends. Today's episode is Beautiful Girls. And our guest, of course, is one of the legends, one of my favorites, Austin Wolf Southern. Austin, I'm a subscriber to Austin's Patreon, The Truth About Cats and Brats, because I think he's awesome. If this was the 90s and I was Barbara Walters, Austin would be on my list of most fascinating people. That's how much I like Austin. So definitely, definitely, definitely stick around for that. We're going to talk a lot of weird things, some favorite things Austin watched in 2021. But of course, we'll talk this strange and interesting film, Beautiful Girls, including Natalie Portman at 15, a love interest for an adult. (laughs) Yeah, we'll go there because it's true. That's something that happens in Beautiful Girls. But of course, you had some other homework. Did you listen to our final episode, technically, with Joe 2 of our Twilight Forever podcast? That's right. We talked Breaking Dawn Part 2 with Kate Hudson and Joe 2. Had such a blast. That was a two-parter. Check that out. And if you're still like, I don't watch Twilight, go to the Peacock, watch it, listen to the episodes, and you'll never have more fun. Posted some great social media stuff, including some screen grabs from our Zoom chat on social media there. And follow us on social media. Whoa, 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 you're seniors. You should know by now. The bell does not dismiss you. I dismiss you. Sit down. I was just going to tell you to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, class participation is a huge part 
of your grade. Before we get into 1996's Beautiful Girls with Austin Wolf Southern, a couple other things I wanted to bring up. Well, one thing, really. I keep forgetting to mention this. Who else saw our good friend and former guest Galen Howard on The Mandalorian? Yeah, had a little cool role on that show. If you're following The Mandalorian, I mean, check it out. Just Google it and you'll be like, oh, I know Galen. I've seen his face well as a podcast, so you've probably heard his voice, but you know what I mean. So cool that he's such a part of that awesome project. So check out our Galen Howard episodes and check out The Mandalorian, of course. Really, really proud and happy for him. He has such a great look for it. So Galen, you know, you're always part of the High School Slumber Party family. Come back. Do another episode with us. All right. Let's get to this episode, though. Beautiful Girls. And this soundtrack, a lot of people liked this soundtrack at the time. First song, let's do Beautiful Girl. It's kind of the title track to this film by a man named Peter Droge. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother sitting up Ryan's. Wait, this is a reunion episode. I guess pack your suitcase. Tell your mother you're coming back home. Because we're about to get our reunion on. So I leave you with that song, Beautiful Girl, by Peter Droge. Class dismissed. A beautiful girl can make you dizzy. She can make you feel high. A beautiful girl is all powerful. And that is as good as love. Austin, thank you so much for coming on once again. This isn't your first reunion episode, so we don't have to ask you the probing uh, questions. But do you remember how to introduce yourself on High School Slumber Party? Yeah, I forgot to... I wanted to use a different mascot every time. (laughs) I forgot to come up with something. So, Austin Wolf Southern, class of 2000. Our mascot was... I don't know. The last cute animal I saw in a movie was in the Mitchells versus the Machines. That's not like a cool, obscure film, but that pug from the 2021 film, the Mitchells versus the Machine, was our mascot back in 2000. <laughs> love it, love it. It's always going to be something from a movie, but I forgot to prepare. Well, that's okay. You're always well prepared for these podcasts anyway. Uh, today, we're, yeah. we're doing another class reunion film, Beautiful Girls from 1996. But before we get into that, because there there's a lot we want to talk about, I'm sure, today. Mm. So I was scrolling through Instagram, and you posted this, like, I don't know what you want to call it, but, like, uh, a year in review. That's what you called mm-hmm. it here. So we, have a, we did a year in review here. We do one, or we tried it as a second year, but... I can say, because we've done it twice, we do one every year here where we watch modern teen films from, you know, the previous year, 2021, and we talk about them. I was a fan of your wrap-up last year. Well, I hope you listen to this year's because, I mean... Yeah, I I started it. 
that I'm not, I haven't finished. Well, it's a three-parter. I understand. Yeah, I, I started, <laughs> I've, I'm still in part one. <laughs> there you go. But I, w- I will listen. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, so th- those are modern films. But I was thinking, like, years are not just influenced by the the media that comes out that year, right? It's almost like what you discover that year. And I thought it was so cool what you posted on your Instagram about, like, pr- pretty much the stuff you discovered for the first time books and movies right like mm-hmm. tell the slumberers out there kind of like what last year was like in terms of artistic discoveries the coolest things that you saw for the first time stuff like that because i really really wanted to talk about it you know i'm not the first to post a list of like favorite film discoveries of the year but i might be because i have been doing it for like 20 years <laughs> yeah it's just like i I find it really frustrating when people release their top 10 films of the year too early, especially if they start coming out in December. And I understand it's to like draw attention to the film. So more people will see them as, you know, in the next, the coming months, but I just never feel like I'm caught up until, you know, at least like February or March, you know, but right when the year ends, then I can definitively say like, these are the best movies that I saw you know, from January 1st to December 31st or whatever. Um, so that's what I do. And I, I take note of short films and feature films and then books I did this year. Uh, for many years, I didn't read enough books to bother. And also, so I keep track of everything I watch, which I don't think is that unusual, but I do it very obsessively. And I, you know, I make like pie charts and stuff to show the stats. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that. Or yeah, that was... look, I love the pie charts because, again, it's something we do in our year-end thing. Like, that's what I was going to into. Like, I'll just off the bat say that I love that the most watched actor you had was Brittany Murphy. 15 stuff? That That's amazing. Yeah, she is. After I finished uh, Nick Cage's career, she's my new like project, like trying to watch everything she does. And she has a lot of TV. Um, She has a lot of movies she doesn't star in that are not good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I just really love her and think she's amazing. So she was my most watched the previous year as well. And I'm still, you know, I still have more to go, so it'll probably continue, but. Yeah, she's great. I really, again, stress that uh, listeners out there just follow Austin uh, on uh, Instagram because maybe maybe I'm too much of a nerd, but like I really dug into this stuff that you posted. Yeah, the Brittany Murphy thing was in my notes. I thought that was super cool. So it's on Instagram at Wolf Southern. It's also, you know, it's on my Patreon, which I guess I'll plug at the end. But these posts in particular are public. So you can just go to patreon.com Wolf Southern. You don't have to sign up. And if you want to look at these, all these stats and nerdy pie charts, uh, it's something I've been doing every year for a long time. I thought that was behind the paywall too. So that's cool. Yeah, no, I made those public. Um, And there's a little more information than I put on Instagram because I get nervous about like what might be too boring or whatever. But pretty much (laughs) everything is on (laughs) the Patreon. But yeah, I break down my rating spread. Uh, you know, spoiler, I like everything. <laughs> and films by decades. So my most watched decades is always the 80s and uh, like modern. 
and then countries formats which you know has really changed because i used to in like 2009 or something it was probably like 60 percent 35 millimeter like i saw i was working at a movie theater and just saw everything and now last year i saw one percent on 35 millimeter that's crazy so i only i only went to the theater a handful of times so yeah it's it's stuff like that and then short films which are i know people are definitely like less interested in because they're more no one's heard of them but i do those as well and the the spread of like formats and countries and decades is more varied with the short films so that's kind of what that's why i like to still do it with the short films did you see anything that was uh maybe appealing to our audience of people who like teenage and i don't know oh yeah coming of age stuff yeah this documentary called dirty girls um you can find it on youtube it's from 2000 and it's about uh this like group of girls who just became known as the dirty girls and they were just kind of it was shot in like 97 98 maybe um and they're just kind of like grungy and you know like slightly punk and just sort of like outsiders they got a a reputation as being like dirty and stinky which wasn't true but they got this nickname the dirty girls and this documentary just like interviews them and interviews you know other people about them and it's really charming and really fantastic and wonderful that's awesome and you can actually watch uh there are like more recent videos of like what are they up to now that you can find on youtube as well which are Ooh, you know what Maybe but, we might have to cover yeah. that in of slumber party that sounds really awesome I'm looking it up now that's super cool yeah you should absolutely watch dirty girls and and your audience we'll do that we'll definitely i'm writing it na- down now reserve some time in the sometime future because we're going to talk that because this looks fucking awesome yeah that was my my number two short film that's amazing (laughs) of last last year yeah a movie that i saw that you ranked high that i've actually we haven't covered here in house of slumber party but i've actually seen i saw it in the theater actually and that's skate kitchen so you really enjoyed that one i loved skate kitchen yeah i watched that shortly before uh the paranoid park episode i just watched like a bunch of skater movies Makes and, sense. Yeah, Skate Kitchen I thought was just incredible. And I, I haven't watched the spin-off TV show yet, but I am certainly planning to. Did that debut? I like I heard it was coming, but I was I didn't realize like it came out already. Yeah, there are like two seasons already. Jeez. I'm I miss the I'm so into movies that I forget the TV shows. I know. I mean that I do that a lot too. It's called something I think it's called Betty yes oh okay i didn't realize that that was it i knew it was coming and oh wow okay so i yeah that that threw me off too i just i only discovered it because i like looked up the actresses and i was like they're all in that something called betty (laughs) Um, and then i you know put it together as the same thing but yeah i loved that movie when the film eighth grade came out i was at what's the crap why am i forgetting the name what's the like the most famous indie freaking cinema in brooklyn nighthawk yeah yeah so like yeah uh it was one of the only places playing this film eighth grade which we covered here in high school slumber party and mm-hmm. i forgot i think my wife had something to do and she had the car and i was just like or either i had the car and i'm like all right do what you gotta do i'm just gonna hang out here for a couple hours and i saw eighth grade and i was there and she was still doing her thing and i was like you know what let me see another movie 
So I saw Skate Kitchen right after, and I'm like, oh, this is really cool. So that was one of those surprise films that I had no, like, I didn't know anything about. I literally just mm-hmm. read it on the marquee, went in, and really haven't seen it since. Around, not then, but I think like a little bit after they announced they were doing a TV show. And that's literally the last time I heard about it or thought about it until you uh, mentioned it right now. And I'm like, oh, crap, I missed this. So kind of bad job on them by just calling it Betty and not doing anything. But I guess how many more <laughs> a people little bit, they, yeah. brought, they brought in? I don't know. So f- last question. I'm not going to bug you too much about this because, again, people can go. Look at your Patreon, look at your Instagram. But Yeah. I mean, I, if you want me to bring up another teen film I really liked. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The movie Girls Town from the 50s. There's one in the 90s that I haven't seen, but I watched this movie Girls Town with Mamie Van Doren. That's from like 50, 57, I think. So one of those like classic 50s uh, juvenile delinquent, Ooh. you know, youth gone wild movies that I was really taken with i really like this one that's awesome i'm gonna write that one down too that's really cool what did 2021 mean to you not i mean not just film but also like in books and stuff like that like obviously it was a tough year for everyone but what were the stuff that you were gravitating most to during uh last year uh britney murphy we know but (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course britney murphy um mostly what I watch is decided through this like convoluted system of randomization. <laughs> um, is like, there a this, method to the madness? There is. I mean, I like, I don't even know where to start because <laughs> it, the method does change frequently, but it, you know, obvious there's always more focus on horror because that's like my genre and more on, well, always focused least on like drama or like regular movies. <laughs> um, how I decide like what am I going to watch tonight is pretty much like putting a list in a randomizer that has been, you know, also like I've chosen that list from randomizing a series of lists. And <laughs> it just kind of goes from there. You know, I mean, everything's broken down by like decade or, you know, subject or whatever. So I don't have like one watch list, but I would guess if everything combined, it would be like 20,000 movies that I want to see. So (laughs) 20,000 movies. Oh, my God. But I have an interest in how many movies did you watch last year? Last year? uh, Well, I can tell you exactly. I watched (laughs) 311 movies for the first time features wow and then i i rewatched 71 which is apparently down from last year but that i think is more than normal i have been i've been trying to rewatch movies more than i used to that's um, still that's still a clip and even at that number i don't know when you're gonna finish your twenty thousand. Oh, never absolutely <laughs> never like and i you know this is like a a weird thing, but like, I don't want people to recommend movies to me. <laughs> like, well, you don't I need have, anymore. That's for sure. I, I don't need anymore. There's so much that I like or find something to like in all these movies. It's funny because the movie we're talking about, I uh, didn't care for. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, there's just a lot of movies that look good to me. And sometimes they're not, but 
I add to a list or I, you know, take note of everything that looks even moderately interesting to me. So there's just a lot. So I can't be like, oh, tonight I feel like this, you know, because it's like, how do I, how do I narrow that down? Like I need a machine to like do it for me and say like, watch this tonight. (laughs) And then there's stuff like stuff I own that I've like never watched. (laughs) That's something I'm trying to put more priority on right now like at this time in my life. Well, well that definitely makes sense. It's and a hard question to answer. Well, I, again, I love I love your uh outlook on films. It's it's like, you know, one of the reasons I love having you on this podcast because I think it's very different than a lot of people. Like I know you're a letterboxer, but a lot of the letterbox mm-hmm. crowd have very like rigid things that they want to watch and how they grade and I'm all about blowing that up. Or at least I say I'm all about it, but I, I want to lean in that way about of blowing that up. So, you know, that's just music mm. to my ears. Did you, in your busy, busy movie watching schedule, did you have any time to rewatch Bratz last year? Because again, your Patreon is the truth about cats and Bratz. So I got to know, was Bratz uh, involved at all in 2021? Or did you, did you have to pass on it for that year? No, no, I think... The last time I watched Bratz was for the podcast. So whenever. Well, it's burned in both our memories. So it doesn't matter regardless. I'm more trying to rewatch stuff that I haven't seen and that I like don't remember that well, which is, you know, three years ago or like. Paranoid Park is a great example because like I remember you came on, you're like, I don't even even remember it. And we both kind of enjoyed it and talked about it. So that definitely makes sense. So definitely, I'm more focused on things I haven't seen in like five years or more that I don't really remember or don't, that I know I liked, but I couldn't like tell you anything about them. And Bratz, I, you know, I've got (laughs) pretty committed to memory. You might be the preeminent scholar on that film, like, and that's not even lying. I (laughs) I would love to be. (laughs) But today we are, we are again, back in our class reunion lap. We are talking Beautiful Girls from 1996. So, Austin, what's your history with this movie? Is this the first time you've seen it, or, or do you have a history at all with it? Uh, sort of. Well, first, so we're not answering the like. I guess I already answered the reunion questions. I mean, do you want to do you want to answer them again? I figured you. you... Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> then we'll go back I'm, to that. Well, just one of them. Most people don't want to go back to those. I've been told that that's a very painful process for a lot of people, but that's why I want to go back to it. It's because it was like extremely painful. <laughs> is it number one or number two? Cause number one is if you can go back in time and give any advice to your high school self. Yeah, that one. Number one question then, if you go back in time and give any advice to your high school self, what would it be Austin? So one of the reasons that these questions like stressed me out so much is cause I, I'm overthinking the like time travel anomaly aspect <laughs> of it. <laughs> so I don't want to tell myself anything that will like cause me to like not end up with my partner today, you know? Like, fair, fair. So that's some, one of the things that makes me panic. So this relates to like the stats and stuff and, and keeping track of everything. And so in 1998 in high school, is when I started writing down every movie that I watched and the date that I watched it. And I did it for two years and then I just stopped for three years. So from like early 2001 through 2004, I have no record. I have no written record of 
what I watched. Interesting. And then I started, you know, 2005, like when 2005 started, I'm like, I'm going to start doing this again. But I have three years and there's a lot of it I've been able to piece together from like midnight movie flyers or just like release dates or, you know, like I've actually tried to piece it together. But it's basically my biggest regret in life is that I have these lost years. Wow. So if I could go back in time and give myself advice, I would be like, do not stop logging every movie that you watch. So I have two follow-up questions for you then. First, what motivated you to originally start logging all the movies you were watching? Just love of movies or something deeper? I don't know. Um, I haven't thought about it. And I mean, I guess I have thought about it because I do still, it does come up. Like, why do I still do it? You know? Mm-hmm. And part of it's like a distrust of memory and just like wanting to know. And I, I don't know, like it helps it seem more real or it just, or more like official. I can't say why I initially started, but I, I think I just, I think I just wanted to know, you know, and then later, you know, I started doing like the stats and the pie charts and stuff, which gave it like a little more like purpose, even though it's ultimately still pointless, (laughs) but at least I feel like I like gathered information about how I spent my time but it's kind of that it's kind of just wanting to know that and it's interesting because i can look at i mean the thing with like memory is i can look at the list from 98 or 99 and there are movies on there that i i see the title and i'm like i've never even heard of this movie but i fucking saw it i fucking watched it in 99 but i I would swear i've never heard of it (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing i love that and so that that is really interesting to me. Do you have any idea why you potentially stopped? Like lack of interest? Was there a bigger situation that happened? Like like why did this gap occur? It started in summer 2000, which is right after I graduated high school. And I was moving around a bit. I wasn't home So I didn't necessarily have like a personal computer with me because as before, like I would have a laptop, you know, and I would kind of take notes and sometimes write down movies. And then I would like log it when I could. And it just got to a point where I had like missed so much or I couldn't, I just like wasn't doing a good job. So I just was like, why bother? You know, and I just felt like it. Yeah, it's basically like I just couldn't keep up with it because I was kind of moving around too much. I mean, some of those years, like, because I think I did write down everything in like 2002, but just like wrote it on like scraps of paper that I didn't like keep or something. I don't know. What a great discovery that would be if you somehow found those scraps of paper. Like, what an interesting oh like, little... <laughs> Dead Sea Scrolls for your life, you know, that'd be super cool. But yeah, I was just curious if there was anything anything that prompted that. Yeah, no, not not really. So, okay, so Beautiful Girls, I put out this email for our class reunion episodes, if you will, and you were the only one to sign up for this movie. I'd never seen Mm. this movie. So uh, what's your history specifically with Beautiful Girls? And do you have a history with it? Sort of. I mean, I have two reasons for choosing it 
So one was that I used to have it on VHS, you know, like when you would just find like a box of VHS in the street. Yeah. Like it, (laughs) it was one of those. So I just like found it in a box and then I just had it for years and I never watched it and I never watched it because it didn't look that, that good. But when you like reminded me of his existence, I was like, you know, I don't have the tape anymore. I was like, oh, that was a movie I used to own and never watched. So I should, I guess, finally watch it. And the other reason was that, you know, I like to be on podcasts and I had a feeling no one else would request <laughs> this one. <laughs> so I, my chances were good. <laughs> well, you guessed correctly. No one else <laughs> yeah. requested this one. And again, I had not seen it. I almost regrettably had not seen it, not because like I particularly enjoyed it, but it's, I hope people don't take me the wrong way when I say certain things on this podcast, because I'm not saying we should elevate this type of art necessarily, but I feel like there's Gen Zers who will not be able to see what the world was like when like white straight males recklessly made films. <laughs> like, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? That's a great way to describe it. I'm not saying we should elevate that again, because I was elevated for many, many, many years, but I also don't want it to be, I don't want it to be deleted. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it is like a, it's a good record of <laughs> what? Oh God. I know everything I'm saying is going to be taken out of context. But I forgot that movies were made like this. I'll just put it that way. I think we can assume that like even most people listening to this episode are not going to watch Beautiful Girls. <laughs> so they won't be able to judge you until we actually like talk about what happens in the movie. Again, and and to be clear, I'm not saying it's a great movie. I don't know if it's even a good movie, but it is a movie where <laughs> Like, I, watching it, there was a nostalgia, not for like, oh, this is how culture should be. <laughs> it was more like, oh, this was a thing. And I, I think we'll definitely get into it. And I know I'm very vague right now, but Austin, you obviously saw the movie. I saw the movie. I think you get where I'm coming from with a lot of the stuff that, that happens in this yeah. film. And I'm I'm glad to hear this from you because I it sounds like you maybe liked it a little more than I did. And that is good. You know, I think that'll make for a better discussion or, or, you know, I'm glad there's like a, I hope you can like defend this movie or not defend no, it. But no, I don't think, I don't think I'll go to that level. I'm glad it's not going to be just us like shitting on it, you know, cause I, I do, I want to find the value in this movie for sure. Well, again, I think the value is as like a piece of history. Like this was, a prominent point of view in Hollywood at a certain moment that like, again, we'll get into it, but you could, especially when you look at the behind the scenes stuff, like you could write this screenplay and get it made about like young white men who are afraid of commitment, you know? And again, like that does not get made today, probably because it was made too much at certain times, but I I cannot imagine this being greenlit in the modern era for again and for the natalie portman stuff aside even just what like just the regular stuff that happens in the movie it's just not very 
common today. And I think, in, especially in the 90s, like, was a little bit more common. So I definitely want to get into that. Mm. All right. So if you're not familiar with Beautiful Girls, which, believe it or not, a bunch of people, like, reached out to me, like, are you covering Beautiful Girls on this lap? And I was like, okay, let oh, me do it. I think there's a nostalgia for this film, probably if you saw it at the time, which was neither of us. So if you're out mm. there disappointed, <laughs> uh, listening, like, oh, no, I love Beautiful Girls. Probably not the podcast for you. But then again, who else is going to cover this film? So bear with <laughs> us. Uh, here goes. An all-star cast sparks this captivating comedy about a group of old friends whose 10-year high school reunion creates some hilarious, unexpected surprises. Willie, Tommy, and Paul may have lost a bit of their youth, but they're still ready to party with Uma Thurman, Rosie O'Donnell, and Mina Servino. What a weird way to put it. Uh, the beautiful girls, they, <laughs> okay. <laughs> the beautiful girls who've turned their world upside down. That is not what this movie is about. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard hard for me to get through because it's ridiculous. Also featuring a hot soundtrack, Beautiful Girls is a must-see comic delight that's sure to entertain you. Okay, so do you remember um, specifically what your VHS copy looked like? Because depending on what the poster or DVD or VHS looked like, looks-wise, looked like a different film. Um, Do you remember at all or no? Uh think it's similar to like the main poster you'd find yeah so i'm looking at like the letterbox poster it looked basically like this where it was four women so mira sorvino yeah mira sorvino rosie o'donnell okay lauren holly and uma thurman are like at the top all their heads next to each other and then timothy hutton matt <laughs> dylan and michael rapaport are in the foreground so it's yes. kind of like it's clear. It's definitely clear. Like this is a movie about both genders or that, you know, in theory will like uh, explore uh, like the personalities of all different types <laughs> or all different types of, of white people. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't want anyone to take me out of context, but like I'm, I'm fascinated with the era that, Nobody even considered the idea that, like, things were not just in binaries, right? Like, one of the most popular books of the 90s were that, was that book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, that was mm. basically like, this is how men behave, and this is how women behave. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. And not that this book necessarily, but there were a lot of, like, literature about this at the time, and a lot of artwork in terms of film and, you know, TV shows that were like, Boys will be boys. Men are men. And I think a lot of people consider the 90s sort of like a rebellious time for some people. But at the same time, in terms of like gender, it was like guys do guy things. Uh, The Michael Rapport character, I forgot the exact words he used, but it's essentially saying like every woman is the same. And they're all like an evil conspiracy against men, essentially. Like one, the one woman a thousand faces thing that you'll even get in the 90s sometimes. I love sitcoms. Mm. Watch 90s sitcoms. Like that's what it's about. Boys behaving like boys and girls behaving like girls. And this is definitely that kind of movie, at least from a male perspective. I don't know if the women characters are written particularly well. I, I mean, I have a guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I mean, yeah, they're not. But uh, <laughs> I'll even venture to say that, like, there's a still large portion of the, the country where if guys are getting together, they're talking like this. So I don't want to say this is like a fraud of a movie in that sense. But that stuff they're saying while watching a football game and drinking beer is not validated in real life like it is in this film, if that makes any sense, right? Like, mm-hmm. to me, the film's value is as a time capsule. I, I really think that this was a preeminent art that we're never going to see again. But let's get into production before we get into the movie stuff. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> okay. The late Ted Demi, the director. Like, I had heard the name. Were you familiar with him at all? He did Blow. Blow, right. yeah, that's, that's where I knew him from. Yeah, that's all I really know. And is he Jonathan Demi's brother? I thought so. He is not related, apparently. Oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, director name, you would think. He died at 38. So that's kind of crazy to read. Hmm. Oh, so just look this up. Jonathan Demi is his uncle. Oh, okay. Good to know. We do another podcast on this network, though, uh, P.S. I Love Hoffman, where we talk about Phil Stern Hoffman films. He was in Punch Drunk Love. And I know uh, P.T. Anderson, like it's even, I think, in the credits, but he dedicated Punch Drunk Love to Ted Demi. So that's where I'd known the name as well. Mm-hmm. More on Ted in a little bit. But the film was written by a dude named Scott Rosenberg. And the movie was written in five days as he had he had finished a script of Con Air and Touchstone slash Disney was considering optioning it. And they were like, uh, you know, wait, wait for a little. We're going to make this movie, but you just got to wait and then we'll sign the deal. So he goes back to his hometown in Massachusetts and he's desperately waiting for the answer of whether Con Air is going to get made. And which is hilarious to think about because it's like <laughs> when you think about Con Air and this, but uh, that's when he writes beautiful mm-hmm. girls and beautiful girls ended up again, getting made before Con Air. Cause this is 96 and Con Air is 97, but he also wrote uh disturbing behavior, high fidelity. Oh, I didn't catch that. He wrote disturbing behavior. Yeah. <laughs> that's more interesting to me. Yeah. Con Air sort of, Makes sense, and I know he's done other like action stuff, right? Obviously, he is a very manly writer. <laughs> um, and you know, I read the trivia where he was like frustrated with only writing action movies, and I do feel like this guy's energy like needs to be funneled into action exclusively because you know, Con Air is amazing, and it's amazing, you know, for what it is and this i i didn't think he pulled off but i don't know how to even like interpret disturbing behavior because that because i like that movie there's a couple things on his imdb that i enjoy the best way i could put it is like this dude is a screenwriter he wrote kangaroo jack which is interesting but Mm -hmm. then he takes a a break clearly because like the uh, after 2003 the next like films that he's Hollywood credited for are uh, the Jumanji series, the newer Jumanji series. Sorry, like sorry, mm-hmm. like with The Rock, and he also wrote Venom. But if you like, do a little bit of a deeper dive or on Wikipedia, to be honest with you. But he's a he's a big script doctor as well. Like he has uncredited revisions of Armageddon, uh, The General's Daughter, the original Spider Man, Runaway Jury. So like, this is a dude that 
like that is his profession. He is a Hollywood screenwriter. He does this a lot, but you're right, Austin, a lot of action films on this, but then occasionally you get some non-action stuff, which is pretty interesting. Mm. Overall, I'm just fascinated with this dude. I kind of want to like know more. There is a masculinity to this film and to action films that makes sense that I, it totally checks out with me of like who this person, I don't know if that's who they are, but at least yeah, the writer's voice. This and Con Air totally make sense to me as being from the same screenwriter. Disturbing Behavior is the one that threw me because that's like a teen film that is, you know, not totally balanced between the genders or anything, but it doesn't feel like an especially like macho movie to me. So that's the one that threw me, but this, I could, I could absolutely see how, see the similarities between this and Con Air. I just think Con Air is a better use of his talents. I I don't disagree. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Back to Ted Demi uh, quickly. Uh, after the script got optioned, there was a couple different directors that they had uh, sort of looked into. Um, apparently, again, according to IMDb, Ben Stiller was offered to direct and star in it. If you're like a younger Gen Z, perhaps, listener, and you're like, Ben Stiller, that's silly. Like, Ben Stiller in the 90s, this is what he was doing. Like, more films mm. that were akin to this rather than like the Zoolander stuff of the world. You know, obviously he directed The Cable Guy and like, you know, he did stuff like Reality Bites and things like that. Um, so it wasn't that crazy, but he turned it down. Apparently also, uh, I think it's James L. Brooks was uh, asked to direct it at one point, but um, they settled on Ted Demi. And his big thing was he asked for the entire cast to live for two weeks, not filming, just uh, this was shot in the Twin Cities. So he set everyone up to just live there, get to know each other, so they built a rapport. I think the cast is, for the most part, really great in this film. I don't think it's like necessarily mm. their fault where there's like shortcomings. No, there are some great actors here, particularly like women here, who just don't get a chance at certain points with with the things that they have to say out of out of their mouth. But um. yeah, I mean, you know, I think Rosie O'Donnell is great in it, um, and you know the funniest i guess and she does the best with what she has and like her rant about about how men see women and like the objectification of women is you know there are some like okay ideas in there but it also it sounds so much like what a man would write yeah if he had to write like what's the problem with supermodels or whatever (laughs) hey you're both fucking insane you want to know what your problem is mtv playboy and madison fucking avenue yes let me explain something to you okay girls with big tits have big asses girls with little tits have little asses that's the way it goes god doesn't fuck around he's a fair guy he gave the fatties big beautiful tits and the skinnies little tiny nibblers it's not my rule you don't like it call him Hey, Mitch. Thank you. Oh, guys, look what we have here. Look at this. Your favorite. Oh, you like that? I'd go along with that. Yeah, that's nice, right? Well, it doesn't exist, okay? Look at the hair. The hair is long, is flowing, it's like a river. Well, it's a fucking weave, okay? And the tits. Please, I could hang my overcoat on them. 
Tits by design were invented to be suckled by babies. Yes, they're purely functional. These are Silicon City. And look, my favorite, the shaved pubis. Pubic hair being so unruly and all. Very key. This is a mockery. This is a sham. This is bullshit. Oh. Implants, collagen, plastic, cap teeth, the fat sucked out, the hair extended, the nose fixed, the bush shape. These are not real women, all right? They're beauty freaks. And they make all us normal women with our wrinkles, our puckered boobs, hi, Bob, our cellulite feel somehow inadequate. Well, I don't buy it, all right? But you fucking mooks, you think if there's a chance in hell that you'll end up with one of these women, you don't give us real women anything approaching a commitment. It's pathetic. I don't know what you think you're gonna do. You're gonna end up 80 years old drooling in some nursing home, then you're gonna decide it's time to settle down, get married, have kids? What, are you gonna find a cheerleader? Charge it, Mitch. I think you're oversimplifying. Oh, eat me. Look at Paul with his models on the wall, his dog named Elle McPherson. He's insane. He's obsessed. You're all obsessed. If you had an ounce of self-esteem, of self-worth, of self-confidence, you would realize that as trite as it may sound, beauty is truly skin deep. And you know what? If you ever did hook one of those girls, I guarantee you'd be sick of her. Yeah, I suppose I'd get sick of her after about, what, 20 or 30 years? Hmm. Get over yourself. Thank you, Mitch. What? Say hello to Gertrude. No matter how perfect the nipple, how supple the thigh, unless there's some other shit going on in the relationship besides the physical, it's gonna get old, okay? And you guys, as a gender, have got to get a grip. Otherwise, the future of the human race is in jeopardy. It felt a little disingenuous, uh, but she, you know, kind of, sell she sells it which was admirable. Yeah, she does a good job with it. I get like I like how they offered that counterpoint, but it's totally like I, I think, you know, we're we're on the same page with this. It's totally like, hey, if you had to write a counterpoint to what you're saying here, what would it be? And put it in yes. Rosie O'Donnell's mouth. <laughs> and then also the characters just dismiss it like whatever. <laughs> you know? Right. It's almost like the like the, the, the filmmakers were like, okay, it's said, it's here. But that's the last we have to hear about it, right? Yeah, like... that's that's how I felt. <laughs> I would say Timothy Hutton is the star. Yeah. Plays Willie Conway. We start in New York, which is kind of cool. Mm. You know, like a 90s New York. But he goes back to his hometown, takes the gray, uh, the Greyhound bus. I don't know if Timothy Hutton is still a household name. I know he won like a, an Oscar for Ordinary People way back when. Were you familiar with Timothy Hutton and his work in general? I know him from two movies. I looked him up. I've seen him in more than two movies, but the ones that I remember him in are The Dark Half, the George Romero, Stephen King adaptation, where he plays kind of a dual role as like a writer and then the like dark side of the writer, you know, his dark half. And <laughs> he's he's pretty good in that. I love any dual rules where there's like, an actor has to portray like the good and the bad version of themselves. Um, so he's great in that. And then he's in this movie called Hashtag Horror. Oh. It's a weird movie, but he's kind of amazing in it. And I don't remember it super well, but I remember him being kind of like sleazy, but really funny and just really like interesting. And I mean, the, the whole movie is kind of like that, like a lot of really intriguing things that don't entirely cohere that's what i know him from and then i guess i've seen uh turk 182 i kind of remember him in that yeah he's someone who's like been around and i think 
at the time, he certainly had at least enough of the recognition to like lead a film like this. Um, I, I do want to bring up because it is a big deal here. Like this is a uh, Harvey Weinstein and his brother. This is a Weinstein produced film and mm. 1996 Weinstein stuff. He was doing crappy stuff at the time, but this is obviously pre allegations. People would flock to this shit. Like you saw the Weinstein name and it was like an indie thing in 96. It's like, mm-hmm. Cool. Like, you know, let me see that. That was almost like a stamp of approval that, like, Focus Features became after that, you know, Searchlight, and then eventually whatever we have today. I don't even know what, like, the equivalent is. But, like, because obviously there's independent films, and then there's that subgenre that I'm not dissing because I like it, but that subgenre that people call independent films, but they're, like, still Hollywood movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not like a guy with a camera. Um, this mm-hmm. is like a really pr- like heavily produced film, but it's also not Spider-Man or, or you know something along those lines. However, Elephant in the Room stuff. There are people on this cast list who would later accuse Harvey Weinstein of doing the nefarious things that he was known to do, including right. Mira Sorvino. So, I mean, I don't know if it was happening on the set or whatever, but. If you watch this movie with that lens, it's no surprise that like Harvey Weinstein would read this script and be like, cool guy movie, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <for> sure. <laughs> so I just wanted to put that out there in case, you know, it didn't come up because it's not one of the more obvious talking points, but it's there and it exists. Mm. Matt Dillon plays Tommy the Birdman as... Timothy Hutton's character, Willie, returns to his hometown for a class reunion that we spend zero time at i'm not zero but very little time at at this like yeah maybe two minutes (laughs) two minutes that but it still qualifies because he's going back to his hometown and hanging out with his high school classmates yeah he plays the bird man who's just one of the couple snowplowers here one of those guys who uh, this is not a diss whatever but like one of the guys who just never left his hometown um his thing he was like the coolest one of the coolest guys in his high school Maybe not so much anymore, though he is successful, if you want to call that successful with the ladies. He has a girlfriend. He also sleeps with a lady who, I don't know, has a husband or whatever, and that's a subplot. Mm-hmm. Noah Emmerich plays Mo, and he's like the family man on the movie, right? Like, he's the hometown friend who got married to his high school sweetheart, had kids, and that's what he's doing with his life, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Michael Rappaport, who problematic to some i get it another snowplower dude it says his name is paul kirkwood i don't remember them saying his name much in the movie he's just michael rapaport to me no. <laughs> yeah of course. and the, i don't know there's a bunch of other dudes that there's that other snowplow guy yeah max perilish yeah, he's max a really Perlish. great like weirdo character actor but here he, he doesn't really <laughs> he's just kind of a gross weirdo another townie um, yeah but I do, I do like that actor generally. There are a couple like really great character actors, like Pruitt Taylor Vince and uh, yeah. John Carroll Lynch shows up yeah. as well, who are both, you know, just always, always solid, top to bottom, really deep and cool. And a lot of like, again, I was, I was happy to see a lot yeah. of the women in this town too. Like Annabeth Gish plays mm-hmm. Tracy. We don't see her till like later in the film, right? We don't see her at the beginning, right? No, no, she's only in the last like 15 minutes or something yeah 
Yeah, so uh, she's just yeah. like listed high in the credits, but she's uh plays Tracy, who's Willie's like New York girlfriend. So she's the like girlfriend that he doesn't know if he wants to commit to or not. And it's it's weird. So this, I mean, just a note that I had that I thought was weird right away is like when he gets into town, Noah Emmerich asks him, like, are you still seeing that girl? And he's like, oh, I don't know, kind of whatever. We've been living together for 11 months. It's like you you don't know if you're dating and you've been living together for 11 months. I know part of it's just like like if you're if you're not married, you're single, you know, and there's that kind of idea that is less prevalent now, thankfully. <laughs> Somewhat less prevalent now. It was like one of the first things that like rubbed me the wrong way, where he was like, I guess you could say we're dating. We've lived together for a year. Like fucking just say yes, I'm still seeing the girl. <laughs> you can say like, oh, I you know, things are maybe not like going so well or I have doubts or something but it was so weird to me that he couldn't even say like yes we are dating I agree with you I just think like in the 90s and probably previous to that again maybe I'm projecting on an entire decade and whatever but <laughs> it was almost like it was unmanly to say like oh I you know I kind of like her, but I'm not sure what I want to do yet. You know what I mean? Like, you almost have to be like, whatever. Like, in the 90s, like, for a guy, like, it seems like it was cool to just blow situations off with the ladies. Like, I don't know what right. I'm doing with that, you know? And and again, I, you see a lot of this here. I, I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. I don't think it's right. But I just think that that was, like, kind of the cool thing to do, to be like, whatever, <laughs> You know, and we mm-hmm. definitely see it here. You're totally right. Like, and I didn't know where this movie was going in that respect. I didn't know how serious he was until like we get later things on it. Because uh, you're right, we don't see her at the beginning. There's not like a scene in the apartment, like oh, uh, have fun at your hometown kind of thing. You know, like yeah, so, he doesn't say goodbye to her. No, it's we're not necessarily <laughs> sure. Like we don't know what he's saying. And then the way the movie ends, and we'll get to it. You're like, oh, okay. So Lauren Holly plays the married lady who uh, Matt Dillon's character is into. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing. We could talk and about. They that. were they were like high school sweethearts, I think. That like went on, moved on to other people, but never got over each other. Yeah, exactly. High school sweethearts still are doing things, but she's married. She's got kids, um, and he's still coming around with his snowplow. In the town that always snows. Mm-hmm. We already mentioned Rosie. I love her character name. Like, they don't really say it in the movie, or I, at least I don't see it, but she's credited as Gina Barasano. She's a barber or a salon person, but she's also just like, she's a little bit like a, a town sage element about her, right? Like, people go to her for mm-hmm. advice. Um, I thought it was a cool character. I don't know if it was used right, but again. <laughs> yeah. Good for Rosie. <laughs> mm-hmm. You mentioned you mentioned Max Perlich. Uh, oh, Martha Plimpton. Yeah, as a, that's a Michael Rappaport's ex, right? Yeah, she's she's cool. You know, as an actress, and yeah, I like her a lot. Basically, underutilized in this film, like most of the women in this film. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Mira Servino mentioned her already, but she's mm-hmm. uh, Matt Dillon's current girlfriend who. Knows Matt Dillon's been cheating on her and still trying to give it a try, hopelessly, despite Rosie O'Donnell 
putting her two cents in accurately saying you should probably break up with him. Yeah. And then Uma Thurman, who's such like a nineties it girl. Right. And this yeah. appearance as she's uh Stanley or quote stinkies uh, who owns <laughs> one of their friends who owns the bar. He's her attractive cousin who just, well, all right, I'll ask you. I'm not going to preempt you. What do you think of this Uma Thurman character as Andrea, the attractive cousin from Chicago? I think her name is Andera. Oh, Andera. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. It was, I, I remember that. I noticed that it was like something weird. Um, She's like the hot girl, I guess, who comes in and doesn't, they just all like go nuts for her when she walks in the door. And they're they're just all like into her. And it was weird that like I guess for a movie called Beautiful Girls that they're like singling out like but Uma though <laughs> really <laughs> it's really beautiful. <laughs> in a way, she's like this one of the better female characters, and I, I kind of I didn't object to anything she does or says, you know, like I kind of liked her character, but I don't entirely know the point of it. Yeah, honestly, I'm with you. She knocks it out of the park. She's great. But it's also like, why are you here? Right? Like she's there. She says stuff. It does a good job at it. And then she just leaves. Yeah. Seemed like maybe her purpose was supposed to be maybe to like, I guess like tempt Timothy Hutton or like for him to like have an affair or something to like get in the way of, you know, him figuring out if he's committed to Annabeth Kish, but you know, she turns him down and Timothy Hutton has another love interest to fill that role. Oh, oh, <laughs> I'm saving the best for last. Don't worry. <laughs> so it ultimately is just, she's just kind of there and yeah, I didn't, she didn't really fulfill i don't know i mean i i liked her character but i don't know what they were going for with it so just quickly before we get into that interesting and problematic character uh, who we've been alluding to a couple of people like richard bright plays the dad a uh, longtime actor david arquette is the brother yeah a couple other great. people here you already mentioned also john carroll lynch who was a bartender at another place he's great yeah and noah emmerich's wife was played by ann bobby from uh nightbreed oh cool so i really like clive barker's nightbreed she's like a she's a musician in that gotcha <laughs> i mean look look top to bottom great cast and we didn't mention an academy award winner because we have to we have to off the bat talk about it and that's natalie portman who plays marty a 13 year old neighbor of mm-hmm. uh, timothy hutton's character describes herself as an old soul so okay i did not dislike this movie as much as you as you're indicating i thought there was a lot of cool things to explore fun things to explore this natalie portman shit is inexcusable what the hell is going on here it it appears that timothy and not appears it's clear timothy hutton's (laughs) character uh willie comes home sees her in the front lawn and i again i'd never seen this movie i thought they were gonna have like a maybe like a cutesy you know how you see in movies and there's like a sister who's wise wiser beyond yeah. on her years and gives advice and stuff like that. I thought that's where it was going, but he in the movie develops a crush on her. Now again, spoiler alert, nothing happens, but there's sexual tension 
with a 13-year-old that I do not need in any film that I watch. <laughs> Austin, the floor is yours. What do you think about this element here? Like, I, I sort of have mixed feelings. I mean, so one thing is, like, looking at other reviews, they make it seem like, I guess, like, she makes the first move or whatever, <laughs> or, like, as if he's not interested in her until she kind of, like, starts, like, hinting at that. I don't think that's true because immediately when he gets there and he sees her just like making a snowman or something in the, in the yard. And then he asks his brother, David Arquette, and he's like, we have new neighbors. And he's like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, they have a, they have a kid. (laughs) (laughs) And David Arquette, like a normal person is just like, I guess I don't <laughs> I don't know. But that like right away for him to notice her that quickly and just like be asking about her right away is like something is wrong with this person. And I thought there was going to be like all or like maybe a flashback. He's remember when he was a kid or something like that. But he has a couple conversations in the movie like, "Oh, maybe I'll wait till she turns 18 cuz she's great." And he's like telling his friends of how great. And look, she is great. She seems like a wonderful young woman, not <laughs> someone course. that you want to date as an adult, you know? And Natalie Portman does a kick-ass job and I think she's amazing. Um but this is one of um it was on 2020 where Natalie Portman like had this whole thing about like how she was sexualized in films as a child and how it like really affected the role she took for years and her, you know, disturbed her. And this is one of the films that she cited as like bothered her. And I can't blame her for, because I do not, this would never be made today with this kind of tone. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. happy about that, but obviously, you know, she was child star in the professional too. And a couple of other things that yeah. you could, which is a hell of a, like one, two, like, the professional and this movie like that's terrible for her <laughs> you know i mean depending which uh which edit you watch of the professionals yes. one is <laughs> much grosser than the other but you know obviously she was you know part of both you see so many like child stars who have like issues right um mm. we talk about them a lot here she was also in heat as well i'm just happy that she seems like a relatively well-adjusted person right now. Again, I don't know her personally, but you watch this movie, you're like, oh my God. Again, she's not sexualized, but that's, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. That's almost worse in a sense. Like (laughs) this isn't that kind of movie about like a creeper who's into a young woman. It's not like Jodie Foster and taxi driver or anything. You know, she's like Mm. cutely ice skating around or doing like things that you would expect a younger person to do. And yet Timothy Hutton's character is like, you know what? I could see myself with her when she's yeah. legal. But like, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just weird. It's so weird. And so the thing that I, I don't know if I want to give this movie like the credit for, or the, the thing that's so odd about it is that they do, it does call itself out. And it like directly calls out Lolita and Nabokov. Nabokov, whatever the fuck. It calls out Polanski, which I really appreciated, not just like as a pedophile, but like he said something to the effect of like, who's that like old, horrible creep? And he's like, Polanski? Yeah. And I like, I really appreciated 
you know, framing him in that way. And Noah Emmerich's character is there to be like, I don't like this. I don't like what you're telling me. And he he's really against it. So it's like the movie knew what they were doing. Like they weren't trying to make it like charming or okay. And there's also the part where he like sees her ice skating and she like falls into his arms and it cuts to Noah Emmerich. And he has this expression of absolute horror. <laughs> he should. <laughs> he should. You. <laughs> what? You. You are a new boyfriend, really. You got to? Oh, I feel faint. Hi, oh. <laughs> <laughs> <That> hero. <laughs> so, can you marry that girl in NYC? I don't know. Why? I don't think you should. How come? You should wait till you're ready. You should wait till you meet someone who excites you. Yeah, well, you know, she may not be out there. It's like the Wizard of Oz, William. The whole time it was right in your own backyard. What do you mean? You. Me and you. Really? Yeah, you don't think? Well, we, we have a little age problem. I know where star crosses Romeo and Juliet. It's a tragedy of Elizabethan proportions. What light through yonder window breaks, tis the east and Juliet is the sun. And the colored girls go do 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 So um so what do we do? Last poor Romeo, we can't do Diddley. He'll go to penitentiary, I'll be the laughing stock of the brownies. If you're feeling for me a chew, you'll wait. Wait? Yep. Wait, five years. I'll be 18. We can walk through this world together. You know, in five years, you won't even remember me. William. I'm formed and you're not, and you still have changes to go through. You'll change, and then I'll be Winnie the Pooh to your Christopher Robin. No literary references left unturned. How do you figure Pooh? Well, Christopher Robin outgrew Pooh. That's how it ended. He had Pooh when he was a child. You know, when he matured, he didn't need him anymore. It's the saddest thing I ever heard. And it's like, okay, like this makes me feel better that like some someone in this movie knows <laughs> that it's like not okay. But then they spend so much time on it and so much with just the two of them and the two of them talking about being boyfriend and girlfriend with each other. You know, I think there's like, it's also trying to reach a sort of honesty. Yeah, I mean, I think it's trying to be very true to like, I guess, I don't know what men go through. Like, I, I don't know how to phrase it. Like, if you accept the fact that all men are pedophiles, then this is like an honest exploration <laughs> of like, hey, some you know, a lot of men, I think it's true that a lot of men could be presented with a Natalie Portman type and not act on it, you know, not do actually do anything inappropriate, but have these feelings of like, I'm kind of 
into her and like intrigued by her. And it's trying to be honest about that. And I, I can appreciate what it's trying to do, but I, I, I don't like it. I think is what it comes down to. You know, it, it definitely made me uncomfortable. I think we're in league with, that aspect of it. And honestly, just to take it a step further for myself, there are parts of what you're saying. Those are the reasons why I kind of enjoyed this film. It is on, it's not honest from a women's perspective. You know what I mean? But it is honest from, I think a 1990s, like these people in these circumstances, like straight white guys where most of them have stayed in their hometown And I'm not criticizing that, but if you were to lock those people in a room, a lot of what they talk about is probably very realistic, right? Right. There's something that we have today where a lot of the dudes we see in media are these super woke guys who are great people probably, but that's not realistically what a conversation is like. Where this movie to me is a little bit weird is one, even still... Even in 1996, I would hope more of his friends were like, dude, you can't say that about an underage girl. And I'm sorry, almost shame him into feeling that way, you know? I think, Austin, you of might course. be right. Yeah. There's There are a lot of guys who might feel that certain way, but probably would even shut down the thoughts in their head as soon as it happened, you know? Well, I right. can never act on that. And I can't say that because society, you know... I would be put in prison and it's wrong. And there's a reason for that, you know? And again, I agree with those things. The way he embraces their relationship is like such a fine line of like him ready to cross over into really bad stuff. I don't want to keep going here by like, you know, bringing up like the straight white dude thing. But if there is someone who is like a super feminist scholar of today and watching this movie, they'd be like, this is what what straight white men have no consequence in their actions. This is like the world that, not the whole world, but like these are things that might occur, right? Like him, again, being so cavalier about it is disturbing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so disturbing. However, the Michael Rappaport character to some might be deplorable and I totally get that. But there are also, he shouldn't be applauded, but I also don't think he's applauded in this movie because there are people, a lot of people in this world, even today, who who still have the mindset of this dude. Oh, definitely. Right, like, and we don't really see that anymore in movies. I think, I also think that they're like, screenwriters and directors are a little too afraid to show guys like this because they don't want to be accused of glorifying them. But they exist Mm. and they're real and we see them here and we see a dude like this. Like, I really, really wish that this Portman stuff didn't exist with the Timothy Hutton character because it's hard for me to, like, present this movie to someone and be like, look, well, (laughs) it's got a lot of realistic stuff. Oh, wait, just ignore the fact that there are multiple scenes of him trying to justify why he should date her. And again, in the end of the day, he does not, uh, Timothy Hutton's character does not date Natalie Portman. They go their separate ways. They have their moments, but it's considered way too long, too long in this film. Again, I wish it was just momentarily. And he's like, well, I couldn't do that. She's a nice person. Best of luck in your future endeavors. But that would make such a huge difference. If it was like just the scene where he tells his friend that like, 
you know, some boy on a bike was like in front of her house and he felt jealous. You know, like I think that there's like the seeds of a good setup there of a good scene. He should just tell his friend, you know, he doesn't need to like in that scene, he sees this kid and he's just like, who's that kid you're hanging out with? You know, like he gets yeah. weird with her, you know, and then he has conversations with her about like, should they date when she's older? You know, like if he kept it all inside or kept it at least like only with like a close friend, it would make a huge difference. Because then you could draw this line to the fact that he, and this is, I think the film tries to do this at times and draw the line. So like, him going back to his childhood and really like, yes, there's a jealousy there, but it's more of a jealousy of, you know, a a yearning for youth and a yearning for stuff like that. Not necessarily like literally, like you said, confronting her, like, why would you date that guy? (laughs) You know, like, like, oh, the person who's her age. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so weird. Also, if you watch the movie, they don't even look like they're close in age. And apparently Timothy Hutton was 10 years older than most of the actors on here too. Mm -hmm. So they're all coming back for their reunion. They're all supposed to be around the same age. He doesn't look like he's 22 and she's 18 or something like that, right? Like she looks like a child and he looks like a grizzled New Yorker with sideburns who's returned to his hometown. Like no one would see them out and about somewhere and be like, oh, that's normal, you know, if they were mm-hmm. a couple. So it's like, and maybe the movie's trying to do that. Maybe they're trying to like have us look, oh, this is so absurd. You couldn't even consider them together. But we know that there are creepy pedophile people who exist in this world. So you can't dismiss that from having the ick factor with this movie. So again, I really wish they downplayed that and I would enjoy this movie so much more. Yeah. And also, I mean, I want to say just like in terms of the positive aspect of it being honest of like, this is, you know, there are men like this who, you know, not just like the super creeps, but men like his character who don't act on it, but still like have these feelings. And there's like, maybe some value in capturing that in a moment. But then on the other end, it did do damage to Natalie Portman. Like it did affect her in a negative way to have to do those scenes. So there, you know, there is like consequence, you know? And he can't speak for himself because he has passed away, Ted Demi. So it's like, it might be hard to say this, but apparently I was reading that like there's a scene uh, where Timothy Hutton kisses her, I mean, you know, on the cheek, like innocently. Mm-hmm. He didn't tell Natalie Portman on purpose to get her natural reaction for that. And it's like, come on, dude. <laughs> I know, again, it's not a sexual yeah. kiss, to be clear. If you haven't seen the movie, you're talking about that. But still. No. Awesome, you said it. She has clearly said that this really, really affected her. So clearly it crossed the line. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. From her mouth, she has said that. So there's no arguing right. it. So the other thing, I do think, like, I don't think this movie is glamorizing these guys. Like, I I don't think you're supposed to dislike them as much as I disliked every <laughs> character. <laughs> but I, I think you are allowed to judge them a little bit. Or they're, they're meant to be flawed. They're, yes. It's meant to be a portrayal of very flawed men who have issues and are bad in many ways and are like unmistakably wrong about, you know, just certain things. 
But the mistake it makes is that I think that's that's great that it just, you know, you can judge them for yourself, but I just don't think it offers the same uh, balance to the female characters. And like Lauren Holly's character in particular, I feel like she exists solely to be judged. You're not supposed to see her as like a person who is flawed. You're supposed to see her as just a straight up bad person. No, I agree. You know? And the other characters, they just, I mean, the other female characters, you just don't really get to know them enough to like have an opinion one way or the other. I don't know if it's a product of the time or, but more likely just not the most, um, not the best writing for women. But mm-hmm. what I don't like is, yes, I 100% agree with you. These are flawed characters. We're supposed to see them as flawed characters. They, at times, they're not always rewarded for their flaws. But the women also seem to just be complacent in the game at times, right? Like, rarely do these men face consequences for what they do. They're, sometimes, right? Cause, so, Matt Dillon's character, again, he's sleeping with, uh, again, I forgot... I'm not good with the character names today. Oh, I, I never know character names. <laughs> uh, you know, he's sleeping with Lauren Holly despite dating Mira Sorvino and eventually catches up to him where uh, Lauren Holly's husband sees him in a bar and him and his friends beat him up. And, you know, there's kind of a interesting, not twist, but interesting scene where like his boys get up to try to like start a fight and, we have this scene at the house where, well, yes, I mean, Timothy Hutton plows a car with a snowplow. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, that aside, right, like the husband, you see him. Yeah, he's he seems like a dick, but you see the daughter and he's like, you, you get to the point where like, yeah, Matt Dillon's not the good guy here. Like this lady has a family and stuff and she's got kids and he's still doing his shit. Yeah. And Timothy Hutton's character says that as well when they're mm-hmm. driving over to them. He's like. Do you blame him? He does have like a reason for beating up Matt Dillon. For sure. So like the consequence, there seems to be consequences, but a lot of them are coming from the men. Uh, The women don't seem to be delivering these consequences, right? Like Uma Thurman for as great as her performances, she's coming in. She's just talking to this guy. She has a little bit of it when she has that, that like kind of fake date with Michael Rappaport. Yeah. But other than that, right. uh, Mira Sorvino's character it's just trying to figure out like how to get her guy back. And that could be relatable to some, but he's also not being punished for that. And we're led to believe yeah. that he's just able to go back to her after that and kind of start his life. Like he made his mistake, but Hey, he's got this great girl on the side anyway. Right. Every couple is back together at the end. No one faces consequences. No one splits up no matter how bad, how badly the, the men behave. Yeah. And it, that's like one of these things that I can, I've certainly had friends who have, uh, been that guy, or this is something we like we talked about maybe right out of college, right? Like, oh, you have this great girl, but you're going back to your hometown. You know, I don't know what's up with me. And I bring it up to like, uh, bring it up the Timothy Hutton character, right? Like, mm-hmm. back in his hometown, he's dismissing her. She shows up, everyone likes her, and he's just like, you know what? I'm going to go back to New York and live my life with her. And that's it. And like, not that he doesn't mm-hmm. get doesn't get with Natalie Portman, thank God. But <laughs> he just has this like little sojourn in his hometown. And he definitely tried to have sex with Uma Thurman. Yes, yes. Like there's no consequence for that at all. And maybe that's realistic. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, and that's what that's about here. I don't know. 
Um, not mm. everyone finds out about everything like we see in movies, but it's just weird that no one paid the consequences. I, I'm going to bring up somebody who is very taboo, but it reminds me of a movie <laughs> of his. I thought about Woody Allen a lot while watching this because Woody Allen is kind of the godfather for better or worse. Cause some of the movies I love and some <laughs> I don't, but for, for better or worse of these kind of guy centric romantic comedies that are sort of like this. If that makes, if you want to call this a romantic comedy, I don't know. A lot of them take after this in terms of writing, Mm -hmm. but, and I can't remember, I think this, this one is called crimes and misdemeanors. And the ending is like the one dude commits a murder and he gets away with it. But another character who's played by Woody Allen, he cheats on his wife and gets caught and he ends up in a divorce and whatever. And they have this really brilliant conversation at the end where it's like, and again, it's fucked up when you think about Woody Allen's real life, but he's like, <laughs> some people get away with things and some people don't. That's just life sort of. Um, yeah. And I bring it up because that is life and that is realistic and it sucks and it's fucked up. But I would have loved to have seen that here where maybe not every character has to suffer the consequences of their like selfish male actions. But give me at least one of them, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I think like Michael Rappaport, who doesn't do anything. I don't I don't know. Like I like he doesn't cheat on her. And I guess she's sleeping with someone else. So, I mean, the worst thing he does is he like blocks her garage with snow every night. <laughs> He's just like annoying. Like, I just feel like Martha Plimpton shouldn't take him back just because he kind of sucks yeah and that's funny about his character too because he really does like suck like uh, (laughs) i love how the movie is named after his monologue if you will the beautiful girls monologue in the bedroom where he's like Mm -hmm. what beautiful girls represent i spoke to tracy she's coming up this weekend for the reunion is that right i gotta meet this girl tracy you really gotta take this shit down why no, I mean, you're like a serial killer. Hey, don't cap on my supermodels, Johnny. Don't go there. Leave it alone. I'm just saying it's creepy. Hey, look who's talking, Mr. Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, no, fucking Mo. I don't judge you, okay? If she could cut her own food, she's fair game. Okay, all right. All I'm saying is you got to take all this down because because it's really, it's, it's creepy and, it, look, and it's... the supermodels are beautiful girls, Will. A beautiful girl can make you dizzy. Like you've been drinking Jack and Coke all morning. She can make you feel high, full of single greatest commodity known to man. Promise. The promise of a better day. The promise of a greater hope. Promise of a new tomorrow. This particular ore can be found in the gate of a beautiful girl, in her smile and in her soul, in the way she makes every rotten little thing about life seem like it's going to be okay. The supermodels, Willie, that's all they are, bottle promise. Scenes from a brand new day, hope dancing in stiletto heels. I am now going to check your freezer for human heads. A beautiful girl is all powerful, and that is as good as love. And I honestly, I didn't mind it because I feel like that dude would think that. Right. But then do you validate what he's saying by naming the movie after that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, but you're right. Like, he doesn't necessarily do anything bad. He just is who he is. Yeah. What I did like about this movie, it reminded me, for better or worse, of films like Garden State, where you come back home and uh, certain people go back home and you kind of see 
people who stayed and what they're up to, you know, and they're just filling you in on stuff. And yeah, some people are going to be married. And this is like a very specific, by the way, like going back home, which it usually is like, it's always home to the suburbs like or small town, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, like just kind of trying to catch up with people. And again, the Matt Dillon character, it's a trope, but I like that trope. Like you were so cool in high school. What are you kind of doing now? And not necessarily he's doing anything bad with it. I mean, he has his own company that's admirable, but hmm. in terms of he's still stuck in high school, he's still trying to date the same girl despite the despite meeting a new person who is seems like she's a wonderful person as well. Like there are elements of that, especially things we cover here on like the class reunion series that I really did enjoy. This movie has some good nuggets here that I would like expressed in a different way, but there's just again some stuff that I can't get past that it's that Zero consequences to the the dude characters in this. Lauren Holly is like she suffers the at the reunion suffers the realest consequences of like people just calling her out for not being a good person in high school, but no one else gets called out really, right? That scene is also also like so weird. The guy's weird. I mean, I I guess, but she goes to the reunion and this this guy comes up to her and is like, "Do you remember me?" And she doesn't. And he's like, you used to call me fat in high school and it really hurt. And it's just, and then he tells her she's mean as a snake. And it's just, the scene just exists to be like, she was mean in high school. And I guess like maybe still is, but it's just to like be mean to her character. And what struck me about it is that more than once, throughout the film before that scene there are fat jokes <laughs> <laughs> you're so, right you're right i didn't even catch that you're right not just the characters are making but clearly like the movie is making these jokes like the movie itself is fat phobic and then to <laughs> use a fat guy to like punish lauren holly was so offensive to me <laughs> Because it's like, you are obviously not sympathetic to this person's issues. There's one line, Natalie Portman asked about Timothy Hutton's girlfriend. And she's like, "Is she?" she's like, what's wrong with her? Is she fat or something? And Timothy Hutton says, no, she's not fat. She's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so like, right. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, it, it, you're so so right. that was, yeah, that was one thing that offended me that they're like trying to villainize her with something it was definitely like doing itself but he kind of just comes out and says it and just like punish punishes her for hey whatever maybe she deserved it but like other people deserve shit in this movie not just her (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that was the that was the main like imbalance issue that i that i had with the whole film is that she's called out for something and no one else has a scene that only exists to like make them feel bad. <laughs> I did not hate the movie. It's not a 2021 film, 2022 film. Sorry, I forgot. It's so dated in that respect. That's a good thing. I think society has had a little bit more awareness in its art for that. But again, I will say that it does a really good job of having some realistic male characters and what concerns are do we, is it a 10 year reunion we have here do, do they make that clear i don't know if they necessarily say i think they kind of accepted the fact that all these actors are not the same age <laughs> so they were intentionally vague 
I was going to say late 20s because that's a 10-year reunion, but whenever it is, whenever they're, well, how old they're supposed to be, I'm not sure. But, like, again, I think it's accurate to count uh, how non-committal, especially in that era, but today, too, for a lot of people, how non-committal a certain type of man can be and the conversations they have with other men justifying it. That part, to me, rang true. Not necessarily with myself or everyone I know, but I know I know guys like this is my point. Mm-hmm. What didn't ring true is the world they existed in and how people reacted to those things actually happening. But there's also cool cool stuff too, like he's a piano player, Timothy Hutton, um, mm-hmm. and he's contemplating you know getting a quote unquote real job, which I think is a lot a conversation a lot of people have. Like, you know, do I just commit to this or pursue the thing I love? Um, that doesn't really get resolved and it's not focused on, but that is something again that like I want to do this reunion series because I think that's a big deal. And I think we'll talk about it in some other films as well. And we've already talked about that. Like, like that's cool to me to explore that aspect of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to completely shit on this movie. I think it was like an okay movie from that respect. And I think it has a potential to be an even better movie if it didn't have the warts it has, but the warts it has are not little things. They're big things. <laughs> They're big things. They're huge things that I know people who would watch this movie and maybe like it, but I, I have voices in my head of, of people who are, would just be like, Oh my God, what the fuck is happening? Maybe again, maybe again, if you had seen this movie in the nineties, maybe if you were around the same age as the actors and you didn't have all these voices in your head that we do now, you know, societal things. And I'm not saying they're negative things, just more awareness, right? Respect for other people, the, a different understanding of gender dynamics that we have. I hope we have at least in 2022 than we did in 1996. These are things that I watch movies, like that's the lens I watch movies in. 27-year-old dude going to the theater in 1996 probably doesn't have that lens and maybe maybe mm-hmm. really enjoyed this movie um, for that respect. But it, this is a harder watch if you're watching now for the first time rather than that guy who it was made for, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I don't like to shit on any movie necessarily, but I do want to say like with this movie, there are aspects of it. I think that are bad, but generally it's just a movie. That's not for me. I mean, I don't like to call any movie bad necessarily, but this was a movie that I, I didn't like. That doesn't mean like it's terrible. It's just this is not my genre. This is not my where my interests lie. I didn't enjoy it just because I don't I don't like enjoy stories about men that much. <laughs> Unless they're, you know, convicts in an airplane. <laughs> like, you know, something like absurd. Can you believe that? I don't know if you read this fact, but that there was a TV show based on this in uh, 2007 called October oh. Road. H- had you heard that? No, I didn't know that. So uh, this is based on a fictional town in Massachusetts called Knightsbridge. And the writer, Scott Rosenberg, developed a TV show I'd never seen. Uh, I told a friend of mine that I was watching this movie, and they're like, oh, did you know about the TV show? I was like, what? It doesn't have the same actors, but it's about the town that it, it's based on. Like, It's one of these things where... In the TV show, the movie exists. Beautiful Girls exists. Mm-hmm. And like someone from the town, like someone from New York wrote it 
and it became like a hit or whatever. And he comes back to his hometown and the people like who he based it on are like reacting to it. Interesting. Okay. I've never seen yeah. it again. I, I don't, it was on ABC. It only lasted a season. Uh, I'm curious of what it's about. I'm curious or two seasons. Sorry. I'm curious if it had awareness of these kind of things. Like, I wonder if one of the characters was like, why did you write that subplot with Natalie Portman? <laughs> like that was really fucked up. I mean, who I, knows? I kind of want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole pilot episode. <laughs> why, why did they do that? Uh, Laura Preppen, uh, Preppen, Preppen from that 70s show in Art of the New Black mm-hmm. was the star apparently. So, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Just wanted to bring mm. that up. So, yeah. So just kind of, I do want to piggyback on what you said, Austin on paper. I kind of like these movies. Like it's a genre that I kind of enjoy that I've always been fascinated with a little bit. Like it's not something that I directly relate to. I'm probably one of the few left who are still fascinated with the inner thoughts of like decently off white men, (laughs) you know, like I like to still see these things now that it's my favorite Mm -hmm. thing to see. I don't also want it to be deleted because I think it is important and the whole rainbow of people's stories. We just don't need the majority of the stories to be like this at all. Um, when we just did our uh, 2021 rewatch, the vast, vast majority of stories, I think over two thirds of the movies in 2021, the teen movies were from a women, a woman's point of view or at least 50, 50. Mm-hmm. It's just important. I think it's crazy to think about that. That was not always the case. And it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing where we are today, right? The fascinating is the word that keeps coming to my mind with a movie like this. I am fascinated that movies like this got made. I'm fascinated about the thought process. I'm fascinated that, again, people made these things without consequence. Because I do think that there is something today to be said that, like, you couldn't, even though he's a real dude, you couldn't write Michael Rappaport's character today people would accuse you of something or say that, you know, you're elevating this. Yeah, perhaps. Show me that character today. And I don't need, by the way, I don't need stories led by Michael Rappaport's. <laughs> you know, I don't need that or want that or desire that at all. I just forgot. I forget sometimes that this was a major, major genre in film. How many John Cusack movies are like this, you know? And I love mm. some of them. But that was just kind of a common thing, like the plight of the man who can't commit. That's what I'll call it. Like, I'm trying to like dancing around the words, but the plight of the dude who can't commit is like was a big, <laughs> big deal that we don't see that anymore. And it's just it's just funny to me. I think we you know, there could be classes on it. Let's criticize it. I'm not elevating it, but I find it interesting and fascinating. And I'll leave it at that. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> That was a mouthful. Anything else you want to say about Beautiful Girls? Uh, No, I don't think so. Let's get to our awards then. I feel like 90% of the episode answered this question, but I'll ask you anyway, Austin. Who was this movie made for? (laughs) Uh, White men in their late 20s, in the 90s specifically. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Very specific. And maybe that's something I enjoy about it. Very specific. We can pinpoint it. We know it exactly. And that's, it is what it is, right? Uh, (laughs) Most likely to succeed. Which character won the movie? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I really, really didn't like anyone. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I think Noah Emmerich's character is the least flawed. I'll, <laughs> I'll say that. So Noah Emmerich kind of, he has some moments. His biggest flaw is his loyalty to his dumb friends. <laughs> That's really his biggest flaw, right? Like, he tries to get into a fight with somebody. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's basically it. So if loyalty is your biggest flaw, I think I think you picked a good one here. Yeah. Wooderson Award. Is there a character here you would have liked to see more of? I want to say Annabeth Gish. I mean, I would like to have seen more of her character. Like, she comes in so late, and I, I'd like her as an actress. But I don't think it would have made that big a difference to the quality of the movie. So I'm going to say David Arquette. Yeah, that's a good call. He, I think, is pretty funny and pretty quirky. And like, I don't want to give him the like wins the movie award, but he was definitely someone I like that the movie would have benefited from a little more of him. He does great in his scenes, but there's really no point or payoff to the character except that he's the brother. But he really stands out. So I agree with that. Um, Long Duck Dong Award, is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Who would you delete from the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Much as I like him as an actor, Max Perlish in this movie is just kind of another Michael Rappaport. Oh, yeah. Totally, totally could have combined those characters. Yeah. He's maybe like, redundant like he says goodbye to him like last and he's in the plow or whatever but it's almost like did you have to yeah i agree (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean other than like you know i mean in a sense like i i want to get rid of most of the characters but (laughs) (laughs) from a more proactive (laughs) you know answer i would say him i mean the only thing maybe Maybe I would get rid of Natalie Portman, just not because she did a bad job, but just to get her out of harm's way. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I think I could sacrifice that in the film. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. On, on the reunion episodes, we don't do uh, the Cameron Fry Award too old to be a high schooler because we don't see a lot of high schoolers. Um, we see mm. Natalie Portman and she does look young enough. So she unfortunately... Okay looks plenty young (laughs) (laughs) so we'll keep it at that but uh surprising scores for me 79 percent by the critics on rotten tomatoes 80 percent by the audience letterbox 3.3 which is a pretty good score but austin we're gonna throw that away uh we of course grade on the a plus to f scale here in high school slumber party but i'm handing you the manila card the red pen a plus to f scale what will you grade beautiful girls I mean, I know what I want to, what I want to give it. Uh, I'm just thinking because I know, like, I think the lowest score I've ever given was an A. <laughs> you know, I I like to be generous, but I would give it a D. D, ooh, A to D. Interesting. It, you know, it passes. <laughs> I'm not giving it like a failing grade, but this is not an assignment that I want turned in in my classroom. So, yeah, I have to go D. I totally get that. With the caveat that, like, a D to my taste. For sure. this is It's all supposed to be about it's personal, you know? You're not creating, like, the cinematography yeah. and stuff like that. Generally, if I give something an A+, I, 
I am, you know, like Bratz, I think like is a perfect movie. <laughs> you know, like I'm not being like, to me, it's a perfect movie. No, like it's, you're wrong if you don't like it. But, <laughs> but, but this, I, you know, I want to clarify that like, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong or I don't know. But yeah, I, it's not for me. So I gave it a C because this is more, I do enjoy films like this on paper, not just like the whole dudes and seeing what happens with them. I just, in general, I like going back to the hometown, seeing what happens, mm. you know, dealing with the things that you may be left behind in high school in terms of issues and stuff like that. And we didn't really talk about like the element with the father or how uh, Timmy Thornton's mother has passed away in the film and he's kind of hanging out and relating to his father on a sort of different level. He probably didn't when he left last time, I like things like that. So it is more in my wheelhouse than your wheelhouse. But so I mm. give it a solid C. I have to deduct points for the Natalie Portman subplot. And again, for the billionth time, I'll say it. The male characters don't really have any consequences to their actions. Bothered me, but mm. it's not, I could see why again, people who watched this in the nineties, like really connected with it and enjoyed it. I could see why they get it, but you'd have to be crazy to watch this. Even if you liked it then and not think the Portman thing was a little weird, like please slumbers. If you're out there, try to justify that on social media, social media. I dare you. (laughs) Next question we have is our sleeping bag question. So you and I are at this beautiful girl's slumber party, interesting slumber party. um, And we have a movie themed sleeping bag for beautiful girls. So Austin, what is your, beautiful girl's sleeping bag look like? I came up with something I I think is pretty good is I want a sleeping bag that is like encrusted. I think that's the word, but like top to bottom encrusted with brown diamonds. Ooh, deep cut for the movie. So Michael Rappaport at one yeah. point buys a diamond for, uh, you know, his ex-girlfriend and she says it's brown. But he's like, no, it's champagne. It's champagne. Yeah, we never see it. But we never they talk about it a lot. They say that it's <laughs> it's a brown diamond. <laughs> I like that. Like when you said encrusted, I'm like, where is he going? But yeah, I think that is the right term. I know you have to say like diamond encrusted. It's weird to say it the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> encrusted diamond, you're right. But like brown diamond encrusted didn't sound I don't know. So <laughs> you got that it. is a great one. I like that. I don't know. For me, I couldn't think of something good. I really couldn't. I mean, it's a it's a hard one. <laughs> this movie. I thought it's appropriate to talk about it in January, especially like you know here in New York, we've recently had snow, big snow film, you know, mm. snow, snow plow stuff. I wanted to think of something snow related, but uh, th- okay. So another criticism I'll have quickly in the movie. I wish we got a better sense of the town. We get a sense of the people, but. I would have liked more geography in the film. Um, mm-hmm. That that aside, I love the idea of like these dudes like out of high school starting this snowplow business and you know living together and getting by on that. And I guess they do like some other projects in the summer that they allude to, like build walls and stuff. But I love the idea that they love to drink, but at any moment it could snow and they got to plow these streets. So I'm going with something warm. Just think of a sleeping bag that you could sleep in your truck in. You know those like really thick sleeping bags, like <laughs> cover the whole body. So color wise, something drab. You know the aesthetics of the movie color wise weren't like the most amazing. So just kind of 
something that Matt Dillon's character or Michael Rappaport's character would sleep in in their truck. Okay. I like that. Okay. So uh, my favorite question every week. Rent two movies, get one free. Austin, you and I walk into the magical blockbuster that has every film that has ever existed. We see a sign that says rent two movies, get one free. We get to the counter. I say, Austin, I'll hold our place in line. Pick two other movies that you watch in a beautiful girl's triple feature. What are those two other movies? Okay. And I'm allowed to give several answers. Oh, you know, you have, you have the full reign to give as many answers as you want. Okay. So I have uh, three, three triple feature, <laughs> different options. The one I'll start with that I think fits into our conversation is I was trying to think of like, if you like this movie, you might also like another movie, you know, like I am trying to put myself in the place of like, well, what if I did like this movie, then what else would I like? And a movie that this reminded me of a lot is the groomsman, which is an Ed Burns film. Yeah. Uh, I hated it, (laughs) but (laughs) it, It's a very similar movie about men of a certain age just being dudes and being friends and hanging out with each other and talking about their relationships and just that kind of stuff. I watched it because Brittany Murphy was in it. Oh, Um, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there is that. But yeah, if you if you like this movie or even, you know, appreciated this movie, then like maybe you would feel the same way about the groomsmen, but it's also just like, not for me. I'm so glad you brought up Ed Burns because like Edward Burns films fall yeah. into this genre. And like, there's some I really enjoy that I know people hate and there's some that are not great. Right. Like wh- whatever. But again, so glad you brought it up because you hit the nail on the head. Like if you probably enjoy this film, you probably enjoy a lot of Ed Burns work. So sorry. Continue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, that's just the one I saw most recently. And I, I think I've only seen, you know, a couple. So that, and then the other one is a movie I know a lot of people like is Everybody Wants Some by Richard Linklater. One of Joey Lewandowski's favorite films. Really? Yes. You know, I, I think that's, that's great. It, I couldn't get into it cause it was just too like male focused. But if that, you know, doesn't uh, turn you off, um you know this that would be like the most fun movie of that triple feature so i think they would play well together uh but i don't you know i don't want to be there so (laughs) love that love that because like again you really you really get what this game is so thank you (laughs) good good so i tried to think of other like coming home movies or you know returning to your hometown and there's one from a few years ago that's kind of under the radar. I saw it at a festival called Donald cried. Donald cried. Never heard of this one. Yeah. So it's like 2015, I think. And it's like this guy, you know, returns to his hometown and then his neighbor, I think is this guy, Donald, who's like all excited that he's back and like forces him to hang out with him. And he's just like super annoying and like <laughs> like grating and but it's really it's really funny it's not like an incredible film but like you know i really i really liked it uh when i saw it i would recommend that and then i could probably come up with something better but this is what came to mind also sort of similar i guess i was thinking like unlikable characters but a movie i watched recently uh where it's someone 
bringing a weirdo to their hometown as opposed to like you know that person returning home but it's son-in-law with Polly Shore ah yes which <laughs> i was stunned how much i liked it <laughs> his character is so gross and so like horny and (laughs) weird and sort of creepy but so funny and so charming and like never because there's something very like non-threatening about him i think yeah that's a good call he really pulls off this balance of like i fucking hate this guy but i also love it (laughs) and i just that movie just like shocked me how much I enjoyed it. I love so it, you know, I think it, I think it fits in well with beautiful girls and Donald cried. That's great. Love that trifecta. Okay. And so the last one. Ooh, three. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this movie came out in 1996. So I have something that is about a class of 1996 who has now reunited and it's going to be a long night because we're going to rent season one of yellow jackets oh <laughs> love it which i don't know i do i want to know if you're watching it if you have watched it i just started so don't spoil but awesome got it oh i wasn't even thinking about that connection that 1996 connection good call yeah so i like like i watched the finale the same yesterday the same and then i watched beautiful girls after so it was like god i kind of i kind of wish i was talking about yellow jackets instead because i i really loved it so this is just like you know beautiful girls is like in there or whatever and then you spend 10 hours with yellow jackets so that's the first pick and the second one we're going farther back and it's a movie i actually haven't seen but i know that people like it called the best years of our lives that is just about a similar thing. Like it, it's not a high school reunion because it's it's like men coming back from the war. Yeah, I believe. But also, it's like three hours, so it, it just fits Ooh. in to like <laughs> really staying up all night to watch these sort of similar things. <laughs> I should see Best Years of Our Lives, of course, but yeah, this, primarily I just wanted to to plug Yellow Jackets on Showtime because <laughs> it's nice fucking great i like how you bring up the uh with the best years of our lives so like the military thing because i feel like before high school reunions like that was the reunion like coming home from war see who survived so i haven't mm-hmm. thought about that but that's interesting also um something i wanted to bring up that maybe you read in the trivia for beautiful girls but the uh screenwriter was really inspired by the deer hunter uh oh that, right specifically like obviously the earlier parts of that film when they're all kind of hanging out in their hometown. So I thought I've never was, seen it. Thought that was interesting. I mean, look, it's a, it's like a three hour movie as well. It's also a three hour. Movie. That might be a better pick since it, it had like a direct influence. Yeah, um, I think yeah, you might be know, right. Yeah. I, I haven't seen either. So, <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> no, the deer, hunt, you know, I'm, I'll do one, right. I'll, okay. I'll do the deer hunter okay. and, and I'll do garden state because it's so similar to this okay deer hunter and garden state because then yeah the deer not to spoil the deer hunter but like vietnam stuff aside 
for a three hour movie, at least an hour or so is like not a war movie. It's just like interactions in their hometown and it's like wintry and it feels similar to this. Mm -hmm. And there is a coming home aspect as well towards the end, but you know, we won't spoil it, but okay. yeah, I think, I think we got a lot of good movie picks collectively today. So appreciate that Austin, as always, you always bring us such great movie picks. So uh, yeah. thank you for talking beautiful girls. I know not your favorite movie as you've indicated, but appreciate you still hopping on and just chatting it up with me. I mean, obviously you should plug your Patreon, but anything you want to plug and say before we skedaddle? Watch Yellow Jackets. <laughs> Are you a producer on Yellow Jackets? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, you know, tell them we, we don't want to wait a year for season two. <laughs> <laughs> Write to Showtime and be like, please get this into production. <laughs> I think they already have, but, you know, it takes time, but I want it right now. So yeah, my Patreon, I do movie reviews, semi-weekly video reviews of movie of all kinds of movies, but mostly horror and trash and try to like things and try to be entertaining and, and funny. They're, you know, pretty short. And it's $2 a month, patreon.com slash wolfsouthern. And there's also just a lot of... Uh, film opinions and just you know sending out like kind of a newsletter of like things i've enjoyed this week and what i movies that mean something to me and you know just various fun stuff the truth about cats and brats great stuff there really appreciate it. really appreciate you coming on you're signed up for some other stuff in our reunion lap austin so we'll oh, get great. back to you soon and you've given me some other ideas for you to come back so i uh, can't wait to talk to you again and really appreciate it awesome thank you Always a pleasure having Austin on. What a great guest. Can't wait to have him on again for something cool. Like I mentioned, he's on some other reunion episodes, so you can check him out there when we release those. Well, we haven't recorded them yet, but they'll be recorded soon. And of course, he'll be on other, other awesome High School Slumber Party episodes. But you do have some homework. Don't worry, it's not for Monday. No episode this Monday, but we will have an episode the following Friday. We're going to talk a film that I've never heard of, I've never even seen, but there's a reason we're talking this film, and it's called Laserhawk. Zach Raymond was having a tough time. Are we on for tonight? Get a light. In the real world. He's wasting his life. But now... His troubles. Listen to me. I saw a UFO. Are out of this world. I don't believe it. Get us out of here now. Let's go. Come on. Incoming. When the signs appear, the danger begins. This invasion you're talking about. You say it's going to happen tonight. Less than six hours. like clues for us to figure out. We've been trying to open that thing for 15 years, and then this kid, he walks in and opens it like he's done it a million times before. Now, who do you think leaked that to him? He's the only one who holds the secret to face the enemy. You're telling me that the only chance for survival is the three of them? Yep. Let's get out of here.
facing James Richter, Mark Hamill, Gordon Curry, and introducing Melissa Galeanos. Laserhawk, the first heroes of the 21st century. So that's your homework to track down and watch 1997's Laserhawk. And the reason we're doing it is because good friend of the program, Ryan Stick, will be here. And his partner, Melissa, you heard her name in the credits, was actually in the film Laserhawk. So she'll be talking with us as well. Can't wait for that episode to come out this Friday. Can't wait to watch the movie and talk to both of them about it. Seems like a really, really fun and interesting film. So once again, that's your homework. Remember, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Spread the word about High School Summer Party. Tell a friend. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop looking around once in a while, you can miss it. <sighs> I am ready to curl up in the sleeping bag and hit the hay. So let's leave you with another song off the Beautiful Girl soundtrack, Be For Real by Afghan Wigs. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.